But I read her biography for the first time and learned that she was born to Baptist ministers in West Texas. At an early age, they recognized how musical she was and started giving her music lessons. By the time she was in junior high school, her parents moved to Little Rock because she'd been invited to join the Little Rock uh, version of the Grand Old Opry. I don't remember what it was called. And by the time she was in high school, they'd moved to Nashville because she had been invited to join the Grand Old Opry. She became very well known in Nashville and eventually started her own publishing company and her own recording company and was in much in demand to back up music and to write music and to write lyrics. One day her nephew, who was in the military, sent her a, a tape and some music and said, one of my army buddies has been writing music and he made this recording. I think he's pretty good. Will you listen to it and see if you think he's good enough that you can help start his career? Well, she did. She thought he was good enough and she helped get him started. Trying to make this long story a little shorter. Uh, after her third marriage broke up, basically because she was drinking so much, she became very despondent, went into deep uh, depression. And after her third suicide attempt, this young man that she had helped get his career start came to visit her in the hospital. And it was there that Chris Christofferson led her back to the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> after that, she didn't know what to do with her life. Her Nashville career was kind of over, and now she was in her late 60s and thought, well, maybe I just don't do anything with my music. But Chris came to visit her and said, you know, I think you should go on tour to churches and youth camps and youth groups and tell them your story. And she said, well, I don't think I can do that. And he said, well, I think you're supposed to pray about it. And she did. And uh, she wrote a song as her prayer. Now, I didn't know that James was going to ask Pam to play the piano, but seeing this morning was a one-act show. It's going to be tonight because I want to sing that song. <laughs> uh, tolerate it, please, because I th the words are good, but the fact that it was her prayer, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I, I think it'll be meaningful. I can't sing it with the haunting voice she had, nor with the passion, because it's not my story. But uh, I, I hope it'll at least touch your hearts and that God will use it to maybe make you ask the same questions that she asked. And I really hate to sit down on the piano after Pam's played, <laughs> but, but that's life. thinking on my part that you could use me that you would even choose me above the others 
who've been with you from the start. Here I am, Lord. Don't you know I'm listening? Just like Samuel, I'm listening with my heart. You don't have to seek me. I'll answer, Lord, speak to me. If you need me, here I am. You don't have to seek me. I'll answer, Lord, speak to me. If you need me, here I am. And I use that because it leads into the scripture that we're going to look at. Uh, you'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. If you need me, here I am. Jeremiah 1, starting with verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. The Lord said to me, from the north disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Skipping to verse 17. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. I have made a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Verse 19. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. I think we all know what it is to wake up from a frightening dream. Uh, we wake up and think, oh, man, was that real? No, I must have been dreaming. 
Was I dreaming? Ooh. The psychologist tells us, tell us that the most reoccurring dream is that we have failed at something. Students dream, psychologists tell us, about failing a test. Uh, it's often the dream is that they've come in and sat down all ready to take a test because they've studied chapter 10 so thoroughly and find out the test is on chapter 14. Dreams like that. Dr. Sigmund Freud tells us that dreams that reoccur of a frightening nature, such as missing an exam or missing a promotion at work or something, occur only to make us try harder. Well, I hope he's right. Uh, and I don't know how they study dreams because I never remember my dream, do, do any of you? I never remember them the next day. Maybe I don't dream, it's why I don't remember them. But uh, at any rate, that's what I read about psychologists and dreams. I suspect that all of us at sometimes panic at the thought of facing a big challenge unprepared. Again, years ago when I was just a kid, a group of us young pastors were traveling through the southeast part of the United States. We uh, wanted to see some of the Civil War sites, some of the plantations, some of the uh, revolution, Revolutionary War sites, and we're just having a good time. And we stopped in Bardstown, Kentucky to see my old Kentucky home. And we went to church that night. The only church that had an evening service was the Southern Baptist Church of Bardstown, Kentucky. So we walked in and it was packed. Probably 500 people on the main floor and two or three up in the balcony. And one of my friends said to the pastor who welcomed us, oh, we're a bunch of pastors from Minnesota. He said, oh, that's nice. Well, it happened to be children's presentation night and they had a children's choir and a children's band and a children's kazoo band and, and they were all performing. And then the pastor got up and said, you know, I was thinking as I was listening to the kids that we have a group of young pastors here tonight, so you come up and preach. He said, me? He said, yeah, you. He said, I, I just, you come up and preach. I said, I'm not prepared. He said, open your mouth and the Lord will fill it. Well, I don't think that's what the Lord meant. I really don't think it is. But I got up there, and I stumbled and stammered and, and hemmed and hawed and made a complete idiot of myself. Well, no, I didn't make an idiot of myself. I was an idiot. I made a fool of myself because I was an idiot because I went up. I shouldn't have done it, but I did. And today, if I went back to Bardstown, I wouldn't go near that church because I'm still embarrassed. But I think we've all had experiences that we have to do something that we're not prepared for, and it's scary. Pam was telling me the first time she, well, I don't know if it was the first time, but she was just learning to drive, and somehow she ended up at a place in Minneapolis called Seven Corners. Now, obviously, it's called that because Seven Corners are there, and they're all main streets. And there were, at that time, there were no stop signs and no stoplights. It was just a big sign saying, congested traffic ahead, slow down. So everybody would slow down and kind of crawl and think, oh, that car's coming, I'll stop. Oh, this, it was frightening. It was a terrible place to drive through and they tried putting up stop signs or stop lights and they had more accidents, so they took them down. But she wasn't prepared to drive through there. 
and she was fortunate enough to just be learning to drive a stick as she had to go through that corner. It's scary to do things you're not prepared for. Well, God came to Jeremiah, who was a young priest in a small settlement near Jerusalem, and said, um, I want you to be a prophet to the nations. <laughs> kind of scary. <laughs> You know, it's funny, I've often heard it said, I, I'm sure I've said it, I've heard other people say it, if God would just speak to me in an audible voice, if he would just tell me what I should do with my life, it would be so much easier and I would do it. I think most of us think if God spoke to us in a clear and unmistakable way, we would feel instant relief and we'd say, oh yes, God. But if we look at the people in the Bible to whom God spoke, well, there was Moses who said, oh, I can't talk. There was Jeremiah who said, I'm too young. There was Jonah who said, uh-uh, I'm not going to do it because you'll change your mind and I'll look like an idiot. I mean, they all heard God's voice. Now, there were some who heard God's voice and, and responded positively, but there were a whole lot who heard God's voice and had some excuse why they couldn't do what he told them to do. Very few responded with, hey, that sounds great. I'll get on it right away. They responded with fear. Questions. Excuses. So I think we have to be honest and say that even the most faithful of us maybe not respond real positively if God spoke to us in an audible voice. Jeremiah responds like we maybe would. says, alas, alas, sovereign Lord, which is another, another way of saying, oh no, God, oh no. I don't know how to speak, I'm too young. Which really seems reasonable. I mean, if First Baptist Church downtown or First Nazarene Church on, where is it, 39th, wherever it is, said, Katie, we want you to come and be our senior pastor. She'd probably say, I'm too young. I'm not ready. I'm scared. Am I right? You wouldn't take the job. No, I didn't think so. So it was a reasonable thing for Jeremiah to say, oh, I'm too young, God. You must have meant somebody else. Oh, I know, there's another Jeremiah living in the next town. He's a lot older. That must be who you meant, God. There was a manager who wrote on an employee's evaluation. He's never been very successful. When opportunity knocks, he just complains about the noise. I hope that's none of you on your employee evaluation. Jeremiah wasn't exactly complaining, he just wasn't listening. All Jeremiah heard was the responsibility. He didn't hear the reassurance. I don't think God ever gives us a responsibility without first giving us reassurance that we can handle the responsibility. God never calls someone without first comforting them. God never appoints someone without first anointing them. Look at the words at the beginning of this passage. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. 
And I hope you hear these words tonight just as Jeremiah did. And plant them in your heart and your mind because your life will never have the impact God created you for unless you understand this truth. God made you for a purpose. That's the first truth we need to understand from Jeremiah's story. God made each one of us for a purpose. He didn't just make us, but he made us for a purpose. In fact, when God tells Jeremiah, before you were born, I set you apart, the word used here literally means set apart for a sacred purpose or consecrated. You and I weren't just made for a purpose, we were made for a sacred purpose, for God's purpose. Dr. Schuller, uh, who's famous for coining the phrase uh, possibility thinking, was asked once in an interview how he developed that positive, optimistic outlook on life. And he, excuse me, he said, I learned it in my prayer life. I started praying every morning, dear Lord, lead me to the person you want to speak to through my life today. He said, and each time I prayed it, God would say, then you better change your attitude. (laughs) If you really want me to do that, then you better be living a positive life that people, when they meet you, will want to hear what you've got to say. I had a man in one church, frustrated us terribly. The board members all spoke to him, I spoke to him, but he had a real zealous spirit of winning souls. He just didn't have a good attitude. He'd walk down the street and grab somebody's arm and say, do you know you're going to hell? That's just not the way you win souls to Jesus Christ. It just isn't. Usually, I mean, it may work in one case, or maybe somebody that that would work with, but most people would rather hear that God loves them, and he wants to forgive you, and you don't have to go to hell. A positive attitude. Uh, It's something we, we really need to have. What would change about your life and about my life if we viewed every moment as a limitless opportunity to live for God. Every moment. The time you spend on the school bus or commuting to work or sitting in the uh, office cubicle or shopping at Walmart or wherever you shop, if we viewed every moment, every moment you spend on social media. I don't know if we have any social media fans here or not. As I said, I have trouble answering my phone, so I avoid social media because I just I don't think I'm too dumb to learn how to use a computer really well. I just don't want to. <laughs> it just doesn't thrill me. But, you know, if we took all these moments and lived them like we knew God was working through us to change people's lives, how much of a change it might make in this world. I don't know, maybe some of you are like me, but I have this fantastic ability to think of exactly what I should say or what I should have said three days after I should have said it. Do you have that? I had a discussion with somebody and three days later, I think, oh, man, what I should have said. I was in the store around a week or so ago at Walmart and 
There was a man in a wheelchair trying to get something off the top shelf with one of these long-handled things. You squeeze it, and he couldn't get it. So I said, here, let me help you. I got it, and I gave it down. He put it in his little basket. He said, you're the fourth person who's walked past me and the only one who's offered to help me. And I said, oh, well, I was glad to help. Two days later, I thought I should have said, maybe that's because I'm the one who knows Jesus Christ. That's what I should have said. Or, well, I was glad to help you because my Savior teaches us to help. But I just said I was glad to help. Uh, too late. And it's because I wasn't thinking that this is a moment. This is the moment that God maybe brought me into this man's life. Ephesians 2.10 in the New Testament reads, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which were prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I've preached on that verse probably many times. I know I've read it probably thousands of times. But it wasn't until I started working on this sermon that the last part of that verse hit me. To do good works which were prepared in advance for us to do. You probably all knew that was there. It never hit me before. He doesn't just expect me to do good works. He expects me to do the good works which were prepared a long time ago. Is that new to anybody else? <laughs> Am I the only one? Nobody's going to tell me. Okay. <laughs> but that, that was a new thought to me that I don't have to worry about what I'm supposed to do because he's already prepared it. When I was in shop class back in seventh grade, our teacher would every morning get all the tools or the materials or whatever we needed and put it to each person's desk. And then he would tell us what to do with them. I thought that's kind of what God does for us. He sets all the things here and says, there they are, and here's what I want you to do. Now, some of us have more talent and can do more with it than others. In shop class, I was never very talented. I passed, but, well, I passed. <laughs> others would take the materials and create this beautiful structure or whatever we were doing. I just never was able to. Uh, but God has prepared for us what we should be doing. God didn't just make us for a purpose. God made you and me with a plan in mind. God made us for a specific good works which he advanced made for us. There's nothing random, nothing meaningless about our life. Every moment was created for God's sacred purposes. I think that's the first thing we need to understand from today's Bible passage. We were created by God for a sacred purpose. In one of my churches in northern Minnesota, I had a little lady whose husband had passed away and her kids all lived in the Twin Cities, which was at that time about four hours away with the freeways. I guess it's a little over two, but she was alone a lot. And she said one day she was praying. She said, God, I'm so lonely. Just tell me what I can do to not be so lonely. And she said, it seemed like he said to her, what have you got in your hands? And she said, knitting needles and yarn. And he said, well, put your coat on and walk over to the mall and sit down on a bench and knit there. 
there'll be people all around you. You won't be lonesome. And uh, she, as she was telling me the story, she said, but God, I don't have a car. I'll have to walk. It's a little over a block, and it's below zero out there. And he said to me, well, dress warm. <laughs> and she did. She walked over there, and she sat down, and she started knitting. And she said, a few minutes later, somebody came and sat down next to her and said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm knitting. And she said, why are you knitting here? And she said, well, I'm not sure, except God told me I should come here to knit. And, and the lady said, God talks to you? And she said, well, not with an audible voice, but I was praying and asked him what I should do because I was so lonesome. And he said, put your coat on and go over to the mall, sit down and knit. And she said, well, I think he sent you here for me. Tell me more about this God. And she led that lady to the Lord that day at the mall. And she said, you know, every day since then, I've gone back to the mall and sat there and knitted I said, you go to the same time every day? She said, no, I just go about my work at the house, and whenever God says it's time, she said, I put on my coat and I go over there. She said, and every time he's brought someone to me who'd either needed prayer or needed a witness or needed to be saved. She said, I'm not lonely anymore. She said, because most of them keep in touch with me. She said, they, they call me, they, they come to visit. She said, in fact, I've never been happier, she said, just because my mother made me learn to knit when I didn't want to. <laughs> and as I read this, I thought, God prepared her as a little girl to knit because he had people probably 60 years later that he was going to bring to her. Isn't that great, the way God works? It's just marvelous that he knows what he's doing when we often don't. The second thing we need to understand from this passage is that in order to accomplish God's purposes, we must live without fear. Think what we could accomplish if we had no fear. Pastor Blackburn, Peter Blackburn, tells about his family camping uh, in a national park in Australia a few years ago. They and their friends had spread out and explored different hiking trails around the campsite. Soon Blackburn heard two of his sons calling for help. He looked to see his, his sons and a friend had climbed to a high rock legend, ledge I'm sorry, along one of the hiking trails, and now they didn't know how to get down. Fortunately, he was able to discover a safe route, and he went up and he brought them down. But when they returned, he reminded them of the two rules he had given them before he let them go hiking. One was, don't ever jump unless you see where you're going to land. And two, don't ever climb before you can see a way back down. And I think that's great advice for rock climbers. But I don't think it's great advice for followers of Jesus Christ. I think when God says, jump and I'll catch you, we should jump. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, that's what Satan said to Jesus, go up on the pinnacle and jump and God will catch you. That, that's spiritually when God tells us to jump. We need to jump. When God says, go to that highest ledge, we need to go to the highest ledge, trusting that he will help us to find the way back. Listen to God's words to Jeremiah. Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to. Do not be afraid of them, 
for I am with you and will rescue you. I wonder how many opportunities are lost to fear, particularly the fear of rejection. How many blessings wither and die in the face of our excuses? You know, fear shrinks our vision. Fear stunts our potential. Fear steals our eternal impact because it makes us doubt God's calling. Listen to God's words again. Do not be afraid. Why? Why should I not be afraid? Because I'm with you. And more than that, I will rescue you. I think if we repeated that to ourselves maybe 30 times a day, uh, we could do a whole lot more. Do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. There's a lady named uh, Deborah Constance who, after living in a very uh, abusive relationship and, and overcoming an addiction to alcohol and, and uh, with the help of the doctors defeating cancer, found success and stability as the vice president of a major realty company in Los Angeles. She was making pretty good money and she enjoyed her job. But as part of her job, she was in charge of the company's uh, giving to welfare agencies, social service agencies, whatever it was her job to decide who got how much. And as a result, she developed a heart for God in disadvantaged, crime-plagued neighborhood in South Central Los Angeles. And through her volunteer work with these kids, she sensed that she had a larger mission than running a real estate company. One day she shared this conviction with a friend and, and uh, he asked her, well, what do you really want to do with your life? If you feel you should be doing something more, what? And she said, well, I really want to open a safe house for the children at Jefferson High School. And he said, then do it. And she said, I can't do it. Uh, I dropped out of high school. Uh, I've had an alcohol addiction. I don't have the kind of money it would take. I don't have the education. I don't have the work experience. I've never had any kids. I don't know how to work with kids. And he looked at her and said, Deborah, you can do it and you must do it. Well, that led to the founding of a community center named A Place Called Home that serves hundreds of young people every day in the most dangerous neighborhood in Los Angeles. The workers at a place called home offer counseling, tutoring, uh, vocational training, after-school programs in the arts and sports. They provide college scholarships, safe placement, and a safe hangout for kids and teens. Because somebody dared to say to her, you can do it and you must do it, and she overcame her fear. I don't know how many of you have fears. I have a fear of height. Uh, in fact, I don't often walk to the edge of the platform. It's too high. But uh, I've just always been afraid of heights. My brother and sister-in-law years ago lived in an apartment building in Chicago on, the, I think it was the 102nd or 103rd floor. And one whole side of their apartment was floor-to-ceiling glass. 
I went there to visit one time, and they had the chairs arranged so that they were right by the windows. And the sofa was someplace else, but the only place to sit was one of those chairs by the window. I said, okay, John, just go and sit down and shut up and forget it. Just go over there and sit. I walked over and sat down for about two minutes, and I got up and walked to the other side of the room and sat on the floor. And my sister-in-law said, is that chair uncomfortable? I said, no, I'm uncomfortable. Chair's fine. It doesn't mind where it's sitting, but I do. <laughs> and my mother said, well, are you still afraid of height? I said, still. The older I get, the worse it gets. And my brother said, well, that's solid glass. There's no way you're going to fall through it. I said, I know there's no way I'm going to fall through it because I'm over here. (laughs) (laughs) And my fear has gotten even worse since I fell off the 20-foot ladder at work a few weeks ago. I didn't tell you about that? Yeah, I fell off a 20-foot ladder. Fortunately, I was on the first step, so I didn't get hurt. But I am afraid of height. <laughs> used to take young people to Chicago uh, every June. The Salvation Army has a youth, or used to have a youth congress in Chicago. And, and taking kids from a small town in Minnesota, you don't go to Chicago and just sit through services. You want to show them some things. So I'd always take them to the top of the Sears Tower. At the time, it was the tallest building in Chicago. I think it's been surpassed since then. But there was a, a viewing platform all the way around the top. It was sealed, and the kids would come and oh, look, you can see, oh, look over there. Is that a... And I'd say, yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, well, they'd, well, come and look. No, I can see it just fine. Are you afraid? Yeah. Well, you can't fall. I know I can't fall from back here. I'm not coming up there. Said, well, you're missing all that. I said, I don't care what I'm missing. But I think in our spiritual lives, we sometimes say that too. I don't care what I'm missing. I'm afraid. I'm fearful. So whatever I miss, I miss. Well, God says, don't be afraid because I'm with you. And that means a whole lot. But he also says, I will rescue you. I'm not sure I ever saw that quite as strongly before either. He's not only with us, but he will rescue us. The final thing we need to understand from the story of Jeremiah is that in order to accomplish God's purposes, we must trust God's plan. Doing great things for God begins with a simple trust that the one who has called us will not forsake us as we seek to follow his call. I was struck recently by some wise words written by finance blogger Bob, I think it's pronounced Lochick. Comparing God with Tom Brady. Now, he did not say that Tom Brady could walk on water, although I think some football fans may say that. But what he was talking about was Brady's ability to throw a leading pass. Now, I don't know a whole lot about football. Well, I'm as bad at sports as I was in the wood wood shop, so I, I just don't know. At any rate... But I understand the leading pass is when the uh, quarterback throws the ball not to where the receiver is, but where he's supposed to be. And he says, God loves throwing lead passes. Not to throw them to where we are now, but where he expects us to be. 
for a lead pass to work, the receiver runs ahead of the ball and trusts the quarterback is going to throw it to just the right spot at the right time. And there you see the comparison between God and Tom Brady. He throws it at just the right time to the right spot. Bob writes, with God, when you follow his principles, the results are almost always delayed. He said, what I mean is, when God asks you and me to do something, we rarely see the results of it immediately. We have to keep doing what we know he told us to do and trusting that he will get us the results somewhere downfield. And then he writes, and I'm going to read it because it would not be truthful if I... If if I've said it myself. If I were playing catch with NFL quarterback Tom Brady and he said, just start running and the ball will be there when you get there, I would trust him and I would start running. Now, I have to tell you, I might trust him, but I wouldn't start running. <laughs> I ran once and I didn't like it, so I've never tried it again. But, but I think we can see that the receiver has to trust Tom Brady and Tom's got seven Super Bowl rings to prove that he could be sufficiently trusted most of the time. However, God can be trusted all of the time. How much more can we trust God when he says, just start running and I'll see what you need is there when you get there. Whatever you're trusting him for today, says Bob Lotick, just keep running and trust that he's got it all worked out. In fact, had it all worked out before you were even born. I love that conclusion. Whatever you're trusting God for today, just keep running and trust that he's got it all worked out. That's what Jeremiah learned to do. And that's what Mary John Wilkins, the lady who wrote the song I sang, learned to do. She was in her 70s when she wrote that song, and she started a ministry. And for the next 15, 20 years, she went from church to church, from camp to camp, from meeting to meeting, singing her songs and telling her story. Here I am, Lord. And I think the question is there. Can I hear you calling me? Or is it just wishful thinking that you could use me? Or that you would even choose me when there's all these other people who've been with you from the start and, and I just came to you. Could you use me? Well, here I am, Lord. You don't have to seek me. I, I'm here. Just speak. Because here I am. If you need me, here I am. And I think many of us at times think, could God really use me? Yeah. Maybe you can go sit in the mall and knit. I don't know. That may not be for anybody except that lady. But he can use you because he made you for a special purpose and he made good works in advance for you to do. We just have to trust him. And I'm doing what my dad used to do, and I'd always tell him, don't do it. It's annoying. Stand there and point with his glasses. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we become our parents? God made us for a sacred purpose. And no matter how hard you 
try, you're not going to unhear that truth because you've heard it several times now. God made you for a sacred purpose. Every moment you are alive is a sacred opportunity to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. The only obstacle standing between you and God and doing God's sacred purpose is our willingness. Would you stand together? We're going to sing song number 554.